All right. Well, good morning, Village Church. It's good to see you this morning. Good to see so many people gather this morning, especially in this season with all that's going on and with the cold wave, 46 degrees at the 8.30 service this morning. Um, lots of folks here early this morning and today. And uh, for those of you joining online, we're grateful you're gathering with us in that way. It's good to gather as God's people. As we do, we've been considering this series we're calling Rechurch, and we're considering this idea that um, we want to look at what the church is. Re means regarding. It's regarding the church, and also we want to sort of look at how we do church again in this new season. So the series Rechurch, and looking at a few marks of the church this morning, we're looking at Mark 3, the scripture-keeping church, that we are as a church a devoted people. A few years ago, um, there were a lot of polls done on the church and on religion. Um, some very large and reputable um, groups did those polls. One of them was a Gallup poll in 2017 that said 24% of Americans believe the Bible is the literal word of God. Now, you might look at that and say, well, that's pretty much what I expected. I, 24% of Americans in general believe the Bible is the literal word of God. That makes sense to me. That percentage makes sense to me. Um, what may not make sense so much or take you off guard is that it's actually the lowest percentage in the 40 years that they've been doing this survey. In that same year, another large polling group, the Pew Research Poll, found that 70% of American Christians believe the Bible is the Word of God. And again, you might look at that and say, well, that seems like a lot. 75% of American Christians believing the Bible is the Word of God. That makes sense to me. If you're like me, what doesn't make sense to me is the other 25%. <laughs> Right, of professing Christians, one in four professing Christians in America, according to the Pew Research poll in 2017, would, would say, no, 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 I'm, the Bible is not actually the word of God. And if you look at these polls, and I could list a number of more from that sort of era, that season of polling, apparently there's an increasing number of Americans, and apparently American professing Christians, who would likely believe that you can believe whatever you want about the Bible and what it says about Jesus and still be part of the church. You can believe whatever you want about the Bible and what it says about Jesus, who is the head of the church, and still be part of the church. Now, that, that would be a myth. It's a misconception at, at best and a myth at worst that you could believe whatever you want about the Bible and whatever it says about Jesus, whatever you believe it says about Jesus, and, and still be part of his church. Now, you don't have to take my word for that being a myth or misconception. You can take Jesus' word for it. Jesus says in John 14, verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So Jesus takes it one step further, one step further than just acknowledgement or affirmation of his commandments, but he wants us to keep his commandments, follow them. Jesus doesn't say, if you love me, you will acknowledge my commandments. You'll say, yeah, yeah, I believe. I'm one of the 75% that believes it is the word of God. I acknowledge that. Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus doesn't say, if you love me, you will affirm my commandments. You will not only say, yeah, I believe they are the word of God. I'm part of the 75%, but I also will affirm them as true and good and right. Jesus doesn't say, if you love me, you will advocate for my commandments out in the world, in society, in social settings. You might say, Matt, you will, if you looked at my Facebook page or my Instagram account, or if you heard the conversations I'm having with non-Christians, you would know I'm advocating for the commands of Jesus, not only in my church and in my life, but, but in the world. I'm letting other people know that that's not what Jesus says. 
Jesus takes it a step further than all of those things. And Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. We will be a scripture-keeping church. And I believe Jesus says this in part because Jesus knows that belief, behavior rather, is inextricably connected to belief. If we say we affirm, if we say we acknowledge, if we say we advocate for them, and if we do, if we say all those things, great, but our actions will follow. Belief and behavior are inextricably connected. Our love for Jesus and our legitimacy as his people, as his church, will be measured not by how we acknowledge his commands, not by how we affirm them or even advocate for them out there in culture. It will be measured by how we keep them. And keeping his commands is a little easier said than done, isn't it? <laughs> you wanna raise your hand if you need help keeping Jesus' commands? Right, most of you cold, hands in pockets, I get it, okay? We need help because of our spiritual frailty as the disciples. And the wonderful thing about Jesus is he's willing to help and he's really good at it. And he offers us help. Look at verse 16 to 17 where it says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he will be with, dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus tells us that he's gonna send us a helper. He's gonna give us help to obey his commands because he knows we're spiritually frail. Right? As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. He knows their frame. He knows they're only dust, the psalmist tells us. We, we, he knows this. He wants to help us, and so he sends his spirit to help. Now, in this section of John's gospel, chapters 14 to 16-ish, as Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit, he lists a number of ways that the Holy Spirit will help us in this. And I'm gonna give you three of them this morning. The first one is that the Holy Spirit will help us by reminding us, is what Jesus says. Verse 26, which is the last verse that followed the verse that Tommy ended with in our scripture reading in this section this morning, says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Which is great news because as much as I and we love Jesus, and as much as we want to obey his commands, like I find myself in a place where I need to be reminded at times about what he really wants. So when you get in that scenario, when you get in that circumstance and you're wondering, what should I do? What would Jesus do? What did Jesus do? And what should I do as a follower of Jesus? How should I obey his commands? And what, would, when G, and what would Jesus says pops into your mind, when the scriptures pops into your mind, guess what? That's Jesus helping you. That's Jesus helping you by reminding you, and that's what he said the Holy Spirit would do. And I need that kind of help, and I'm assuming you do too. But Jesus says the help goes farther. He says that he will help us by not only reminding us, but by guiding us. He'll actually give us a little spiritual hand-holding. In chapter 16, verse 13, Jesus says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. And again, as much as we love Jesus and as much as we love his commands and as much as we wanna follow his commands, we need help and we need his reminding and we also need his guiding at times. And so when you're in that scenario and you're wondering, what do I do? What would Jesus do? What did Jesus do? What should I do as a follower of Jesus? What does obeying Jesus' commands really mean in this circumstance? And when the truth of what Jesus says pops into your mind, 
something else happens. You sense yourself actually wanting to move in that direction. That is the Holy Spirit guiding you. Listen, it's Jesus helping you. But it's not just that he helps us by reminding us and guiding us. He also helps us by empowering us. And a scripture that's familiar, I'm assuming to most of us, when Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. That Jesus is going to empower us to be his witnesses in the things that we say and in the things that we do. He's going to empower us in those things. So again, when we're in that scenario and we're wondering what we're supposed to do, what would be obeying Jesus and his commands in this scenario, and that thing pops into our mind, he's reminding us. We feel an inclination to move in that direction. He's actually holding our hand and guiding us. And when we actually follow through and do the thing that we know Jesus says we're supposed to do, we know that he's empowering us. He helps us in all of these ways. He reminds us. (laughs) He guides us. He empowers us. That's a lot of help, isn't it? That's a lot of help. And the reason that Jesus offers so much help is because we need so much help. We need all that help from Jesus. Because sometimes obeying the commands of Jesus are not easy. It's not easy to obey all of his commands. Jesus says things like, if you want to be first, you're actually going to have to be last. I'm going to command you to go last if you want to be first. Now, in life, that's hard enough, especially after this year, 2020, where everyone's sort of like kind of falling down in some ways and kind of getting pulled down, and you want to sort of, everyone's grasping to get back to the top. Jesus, well, yeah, the the greatest way to get to the top is to get to the bottom, actually, is to be last, to be first. That's hard to obey. Jesus tells us we're supposed to love our enemies, and Maybe if you're like me, I feel like I don't really have a lot of enemies, I don't think, at least, you know, I don't think I have a lot of enemies, but maybe after 2020, you're like, oh no, I, I got a few enemies. I think I got a, a couple, right? I got a couple. And it's hard to love your enemies. How about this one after 2020? Pray for those who persecute you. Right? This is a command from Jesus. Not easy to obey. Jesus says, if you wanna follow me, here's what it's gonna look like. You're gonna deny yourself. You know, you're gonna take up your cross and you're gonna follow me daily. So you're gonna die to yourself. You're gonna take up your cross, a daily reminder. You're gonna remind yourself daily and you're gonna follow me instead of following your own desires, will, whatever for your life. It's hard to obey. Jesus says he's gonna give us help. He's gonna remind us. He's gonna guide us. He's gonna empower us. And we need the help because it's hard. Jesus not only said that he's gonna help us by reminding us and, and guiding us and empowering us, but he also tells us he's gonna help us by not leaving us in this place forever. He's not gonna leave us in this place forever, the place where we need the reminding and when we need the guiding and we need the empowering. We're not gonna always be there. Now, this next verse is kind of, um, it gave me pause a little bit this week because there's a few ways to look at it and commentators are sort of, sort of um, well, they're sort of scattered a little bit on, on how exactly to see it. So it gave me a little bit of pause, but, but follow it with me, verses 18 to 20. Jesus, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. He's not gonna leave us in this place forever. And then he says, yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. So Jesus says, I will not leave you orphans. I'm gonna come to you. Orphans don't have the most essential thing that they need for life. They don't have parents. 
And what Jesus says is, I'm not gonna leave you that way. I'm not gonna leave you without what you need, the most essential things you need for the spiritual life. I'm gonna come to you. I'm gonna remind you. I'm gonna guide you. I'm gonna empower you. I'm not gonna leave you alone in this place, and I'm not gonna leave you that way forever. I'm gonna come to you. Now, some commentators say, well, what he's saying is he's not gonna leave them in this place for more than three days because he's talking about his resurrection because see, he says, yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because they saw him after his resurrection. Some commentators say, no, no, it's, it's actually not that. It's, it's, it's the period between the resurrection and, and when, he, when he does his ascension because he says, because I live, you also will live. So the, they're gonna get the gift of the Holy Spirit between that time and then Jesus is gonna ascend. And so like, there, there's that period of time for me, the 40 days, not gonna leave them in this state. And yet others say, no, no, it's actually the entire time between the time Jesus first came and lived and died and rose to the second coming of Jesus, the entire sort of church age, because he says, in that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Whatever it actually is, some say it's all those things tend to lean that way. The point is this, Jesus is not gonna leave us in this place forever. Yes, we need the empowering, we need the reminding, we need the, the guiding, but he's not gonna leave us in this kind of needy place forever, even though we have all this help from him. He's going to come to us. And as much help as Jesus gives, and as much as he assures us that he's not gonna leave us in this place forever, he still tells us it's still important that you keep my commands, that you obey my commands, that you be a scripture-keeping church. He says it a second time in verse 21 where he says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Jesus says, I'm gonna help you and I'm not gonna leave you in this place forever. But it's really important in the between time that you keep my commandments. And the question is, why? Well, Jesus says that, if we keep his commandments, it's an indicator that we love him. That's a good reason. That's the main reason we're here. But there's another reason that Jesus alludes to. He says that I will manifest myself to him. See, Jesus says it's so important that we keep his commandments because it's in the keeping of his commandments that Jesus reveals more of himself to us. He manifests himself to us in tangible ways. And this is the reason we're Christians, right? I mean, other than the fact that Jesus draws us to himself without our, our doing, that he, that he gifts us a gift of faith, that he invites us in, that we're saved by grace through faith. I mean, one of the reasons we're Christians is because we've believed this idea that Christianity is about religion, a relationship rather, and not religion. It's that cliche, right? That Christianity is not religion, it's relationship. We say that all the time. Do we believe that? Like that, that, that's why I wanna be a Christian because I don't wanna follow a religious system. I wanna know that I can be in relationship with God, that I can sense some kind of nearness to God, that I can know some kind of intimacy with God. And this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, as you obey my commands, I will reveal myself, more of myself, manifest myself to you. Now, you might be thinking, and a lot of people, I think, think things like this. If Jesus would just manifest more of himself to me, then I would want to believe more of his commands. Like if he would just show me more of himself, then I would be more inclined to obey more of his commands. So Jesus, you show me more of yourself and I will obey more of your commands. 
Jesus says it doesn't work that way. I think in our minds we think it's the chicken and the egg. Which is it? Like, if I obey, then he shows himself, or does he show himself so I obey? Jesus says, you don't need to to question if it's the chicken or the egg. I'm telling you which one it is. I'm telling you, if you keep my commands, you will see more of me. And if you're a Christian, you've experienced this reality in your life. That as you walk more in step with the Spirit and you obey more of Jesus' commands, you see more of who he is and you grow in your relationship with and toward him. Jesus says that he would manifest himself to his disciples if they keep his commands, but the disciples are like us. They're a little slow on the uptake, <laughs> you know? They're a little slow to see these things. So, um, so Judas Iscariot says to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? So Jesus has just told them, I'm gonna manifest myself to you when you obey my commandments. And Judas, not Iscariot, like one of us says, okay, come again, how are you gonna do that to us? How are you gonna manifest yourself to us? Kind of like when a kid asks you the same question a second time and you give the same answer because it is the same answer, but, but you might tweak it a little bit so they might get it differently. Jesus tweaks his answer a little bit here and you're gonna catch it because he says, we're gonna make our home with him instead of manifest ourselves to him. But he gives the same answer, just a little tweaked. Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. The first time Jesus says, manifest myself to him, which is, I'm gonna show, reveal myself to you. Now he's saying, make our home with him. He, he's, he's doubling down on the intimacy of what he's trying to say. He's, I, I wanna be intimate with you. I wanna make my home with you. This is the third time that Jesus has told his disciples that if he loves them, they will keep his commandments but this time he adds one more very important caveat. Did you see it in verse 24? Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. A moment ago I said, hey, don't take my word for it, take Jesus' word for it. There's a sense where Jesus is saying, hey, this is not just my word, this is the Father's word. Jesus' word is good enough, but he's saying, this is the Father's word. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And Jesus says fairly straightforwardly that if we don't keep his commandments, it's because we don't, we don't love him. If we, not, we don't love him, we're, we may not be actually with him. See, it's not always easy to be a scripture-keeping person, is it? We don't always obey the Bible. But if you hear Jesus say something like, whoever does not love me does not keep my words, it probably gives you pause at least for a moment because you might think to yourself, if you're honest, like, well, I don't always do that. I, I don't actually always keep his words. And if I'm really honest, like, there's times when, like, I don't, maybe I don't often or as often as I want keep his words. So, like, what does that mean? Am I, am I a Christian? Am I with him? Have I just been playing church this whole time? Like, what am I doing? Am, am I really a Christian, a person who's following after Christ? Is, is that really me? And I think if it is, there'll be three things at least that'll be true of you. One, you'll have a deep desire to be a scripture-keeping person. But even though you don't keep the scriptures always, you have a deep desire to be a scripture-keeping person. First 
John chapter 5, verse 3, he says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. That we have a deep desire, a, a desire to keep his commandments. It's not a burden to us because we want to do it if we're one of God's people. That's how you would know you're one of his people. Even if you don't always obey his commands. The second way you would know is that you have a clear ability to be a scripture-keeping kind of person. That your life is demonstrated that you do have an ability to keep Jesus' commands. Although not perfectly, you have an ability for everyone who has been born of God. In the next verse, John says, overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. As we trust Jesus by faith, we do obey his commands, and we do live lives that are different than the world. We do overcome the world in that sense. There's a clear ability to keep the scriptures. And lastly, you're quick to repent when you're not a scripture-keeping person. If you are really a child of God, you have a deep desire, you've demonstrated some kind of ability, and you're quick to repent when you don't. Early on in this letter from John, he says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. I mean, which one of us would ever say, yeah, yeah, we, don't, we really don't sin that much by not keeping Jesus' command. It's a joke. We all do, all the time. But Jesus says, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins, John says, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that confession is just one part of that repentance process, right? There's the contrition, our heart is broken toward God because we love him. There's the confession, we confess things to him and to others. And then there's the change, where we actually change the way we live because we're repenting before God. Years ago, I had this mentor, and he, um, he would teach often to larger groups of men and one time he was teaching, he was telling a, a story about a guy who had approached him after hearing a sermon like this. And the guy approached him and came up and he said, um, hey, the things that you're saying about Jesus and about the Bible and following the commands of Jesus, as I'm listening, I'm asking myself, is what you're saying right? And the answer is yes, absolutely yes. The guy said, and then I think to myself, should I do the things that you're telling me? Like the things you're telling me about the gospel and Jesus and following his commands, should I do those things? And I'm saying, yes, I should do those things. And then he ended by saying, you know, the third question is, am I actually gonna do them? Like, is what you're saying true? Yes. Should I do it? Yes. Am I actually gonna do it? And the guy said, you know what? Probably not. And he kind of just chuckled and he walked off. And it kind of became like a joke among those group of guys. And I'm like, that is actually not a joke. It's not funny. Like, that is not funny, like, at all not funny. Because what this guy is saying is, is what you're saying true about the Bible and the scriptures? Yes. Should I do those things? Should I obey them? Yes. Am I going to? Probably not. <laughs> no, 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 that's not funny. Because if we really are God's people, we'll have a deep desire. We'll demonstrate some kind of ability and, and when we don't, which could be often sometimes, we'll be quick to repent before God of those things. The early church got this. It wasn't just the teaching of Jesus actually worked its way into the life of the early church. And in a very familiar verse to most of us, it says in Acts 2.42, and they devoted themselves, and later he says day by day, to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and the breaking of bread, and to prayers. What is the apostles' teaching that they devoted themselves to? This devoted word is the continually devoted themselves to day by day. What is the apostles' teaching but the teachings of Jesus? 
Jesus tells him at the end of Matthew, go and make disciples. And he says, teaching them all the things that I have commanded you. Matthew is, in a sense, a discipleship manual for the early church. And as they went out, this is what the apostles' teaching is. It's the teachings of Jesus. And it's outworking in the life of the church. And they would need to be devoted to the apostles' teaching, the teachings of Jesus, because they would be living in a culture that would be moving away from him, not toward him, increasingly hostile to him and to them as his followers. Sound familiar? And so later, the apostle Paul would write to a young pastor, pastoring a church in this kind of culture, not much different than ours. And he would say this to him, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted while evil people and imposters grow, go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Everyone who wants to live a scripture-keeping life, who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, will be persecuted. Paul says, but, but as for you, as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed that you're grounded in, knowing from whom you've learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. Are you acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through Jesus Christ or in Jesus Christ? The scripture-keeping church is a grounded church. It's firmly grounded in God's word, which is why Paul finishes this section by saying all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All scripture is breathed out by God. And the Village Church, one of our values is biblical authority. And we believe that all scripture is breathed out by God. We believe something that's called verbal plenary inspiration, that God not only inspired the big ideas or thoughts contained in the scripture, but he, he inspired everything down to the words. All of the words, we believe, are inspired by him. They're all breathed out by him and they're all profitable for all kinds of things in life. It's our highest authority in life, God's word. And we're called to keep them or keep it, keep his commands. Okay, so you might hear all this and go, wow, all right, so that's a lot. That's a lot. Like I, so like, yeah, I gotta, if I, if I really love him, I gotta obey his commandments. I'm really grateful he's gonna help me. He's gonna remind me. He's gonna uh, empower me. He's gonna hold my hand along the way and guide me. That's great. He's not gonna leave me in this place forever. But like, I, I don't know, like, I don't know if I can do that. Can, how, can I follow him enough? Can I obey enough? Like, when is gonna be enough for me to prove that I love him? The good news about Jesus is that um, he's already made it enough, right? He's already done it for us. We not only have his help on this end with the reminding and the guiding and the empowering, we not only have his help on this end where he says, I'm not gonna leave you forever, but, but, but straight down the middle where we need it the most, Jesus has already done all of this for us. He's already perfectly obeyed for us. And when we studied the book of Hebrews a number of months ago, we found ourselves in Hebrews chapter four where it says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. He understands he understands the help you need. He understands the guiding you need. He understands the empowering you need. Jesus was fully man. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. 
Jesus showed up to that place where, where you and I say, hey, what, what would Jesus do? What should I do as a follower of Jesus? Like, what am I supposed to do in this situation? Jesus saw all of those same situations and he showed up and he was like, okay, what is honoring to the Father here? And he did the right thing every single time, obeyed the will of God, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may what? Receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need that we get the help we need, the ultimate help we need through Jesus who lived the life we could never live, a sinless life on our behalf, who died a death that we should have died on the cross and in our place and for our sins for all the times we don't obey and keep the scriptures, his commands, and raised to give us a life we could never have otherwise, a life that's forgiven for that sin and free now to, to follow God out of love, not out of obligation. I mean, Jesus has only helped us in every single way. And I think that's connected to our good news this morning, and he sure is good. That Jesus has kept the scriptures perfectly and can help us to keep the scriptures, listen to me, lovingly and consistently, even if not perfectly, right? And hopefully that's good news to you. That Jesus has kept it perfectly for us. And even though we might not kept it, keep it perfectly, because he has, he empowers us to keep his scriptures lovingly and consistently because we love him. I hope that's good news for you. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we do love you. You know that we love you. And I know I can, and I'm sure every one of us can relate to, to the end of John's gospel where in chapter 21, you say to, to Peter, Peter, do you love me? And he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And it sort of pains us to read it three times. You know, yes, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Lord, you know that we love you and that we want to obey you because we love you. We thank you that you have offered us every kind of help we could possibly need, that you remind us, that you guide us, that you empower us, that you're not gonna leave us in this place forever. And ultimately, Lord, we thank you that you, that you went before us, that you've already done all this for us, obeying the scriptures perfectly and that your record is attributed to us when we place our faith and our hope and trust in you and we receive your spirit who will empower us to keep your commands and we pray that you'd help us to do it, not because we have to, because we want to, Lord, we love you. We thank you for these things. We ask him in your, in your name and for your sake, Jesus. Amen.